Hello and welcome to Miles to Memories. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined as always by Mark Osterman and Joe Chung. We have a great show for you this week. I just got back from a road trip through California and Nevada, stayed up in Reno and at the Hyatt Regency Lake Tahoe. Tons of cool stuff to share from that trip. Plus, we'll discuss the banks and how they are weak when it comes to travel hacking, where each of the banks falls short. And then we'll talk a little bit about a tax proposal that could have big implications for people in the miles and points game. You don't want to miss that. Plus rapid fires and more. If you like the show, consider subscribing. mtmpodcast.com is where you can go for that. Or just search Miles to Memories in your favorite podcast app. And if you want to dive deeper into the world of miles and points, join our awesome Patreon community. We have private Facebook and Discord groups. We do private content every single week. We have meetups coming up, an amazing community of people who love this hobby. Check that out at patreon.com forward slash miles to memories. Thanks so much for listening. Let's hit it. Gentlemen, how has it been, Joe? I saw Disneyland open this week, saw so many people crying as they went into the park, and it made me think of you, even though you didn't cry when you went to Disney World. But uh, did you cry watching people go to Disneyland? I did not, but uh, I was talking to Leslie about it on Disney Decipher because she was there on opening day. And she did bring up a good point that one of the reasons why I was emotional is because California obviously had one of the strictest quarantine policies in the country. And they had some of the worst cases in the country. So Disneyland reopening is, I think, for Californians, like symbolic of, you know, turning the page, moving on to the next chapter of this whole situation. So, you know, she was explaining... Of course, I made fun of her via the Melissa Villasenor joke about people crying for Disneyland but not crying when they see their grandparents again. Um, and so, you know, I made fun of her a little bit about that. But I, I, I get it. You know, it is it, it is representing turning the page for the entire state. So, you know, there's some solidarity there. But uh, personally, over here on the East Coast, you know, I wasn't too emotional about it. But it was nice to see it finally opening again. I mean, it's been over a year. It brought out all the Disney haters, all the people who make fun of adult Disney lovers, people like Mark, brought out everybody uh, making fun of the people kind of crying going through the the front gates. I'm not a crier. I didn't cry going to Magic Mountain uh, last week, but certainly uh, I get it. It's It's magical for a lot of people. Our emotions are all pent up. Hey, if you want to cry going into Disneyland, I think uh, there's far worse ways to spend your life. I saw. I don't don't know about that. (laughs) Well, I saw. I saw a good. I saw a good comeback to the haters of adults who love Disney, and they were like, "You're probably the same person who paints your body the colors of your favorite team and goes shirtless to a game." So, as adults, we all have our hobbies. We all have our weird things, childish things that we enjoy. So, I know Mark, you're you're painting the green and white on yourself for the MSU games, right? No. I Thank guess you. I'm, Please uh, do not I'm do that. that. I'm in the Please one or two percent of normal people that don't paint or cry at things. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. No, if I you're the one or two percent, you're the weird one. <laughs> I'm normal in my own brain, I guess. I mean, I can see people getting emotional over it, mainly be just because of how long, like you said, the frustrations of the last year and a half coming out. But I don't know. I still don't see how people get so sucked up into the magic of Disney. It's just not my thing and never has been, never will be. But... Everybody has their thing that they get choked up at. I get choked up at movies where, you know, a dad and a child, like, have a heartfelt moment. So I guess that's my thing. Speaking of getting choked up, Marvel released their Phase 4 trailer today. And I was getting a little emotional about that because they were, first of all, they used some Stan Lee audio, which that was really good. But then they were kind of, like, encouraging people to, like, go back to the theaters again. And they used that... um, I'm not going to spoil it, but they really did pull on the heartstrings with that ad. It's like a three minute and 10 second ad about a uh, phase four for Marvel. So that uh, tugged on my heartstrings as well. I was more emotional about that than Disneyland reopening. 
speaking of movies, we went, I was down in Cincinnati this weekend visiting uh, my sister and her family. And uh, we missed my nephew's birthday by a couple weeks and my niece's birthday is coming up in a couple months. So we just did like a combo thing and went to the movies, rented out the theater and did uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, which was uh, pretty solid, but it was just good to go to do the movies and be normal, but yet be in there by yourself so the kids could run around and do whatever they wanted. So it was it was a pretty cool experience. Had a lot of fun this weekend. I think I'm definitely ready. I'm not re- I'm not ready to take my kids to the movie theaters, but I think Black Widow is supposed to come out in July and even maybe in the Heights, uh, which is coming out in June. Like I think I'm ready to go to a theater on my own. You know, I'm fully vaccinated. I probably won't eat and drink in there, but I'm excited to go. Top Gun two. Yes. Didn't they like postpone that like another like six months? Did they? Ah. What about you guys? You guys ready to go to the theaters like on your own without your kids or even with your kids? Yeah. Yeah, It's weird because so many movies are getting released on HBO Max at the same time. It's like, oh, okay, well, what's the point? But yeah, if if it's a good movie, I'd go check it out. They're mostly empty anyway. And they, you know, most of them have restrictions and everything. So, but I will say if you're looking at like getting a group, like a couple families together or whatever, check out your local theaters. You can rent out if you don't feel as comfortable going to a public setting, you can rent it out. Older movies are like a hundred bucks for up to 20 people. And then newer movies go up to 250, depending on the theater. So when you got 20, if you can get 15, 20 people together, it's not that it might be even cheaper in some places. Definitely worth checking out. For sure. Let's get into the show and talk a little bit about travel and banks and all kinds of uh, fun stuff as we as we do. I went to Lake Tahoe last week in Reno, and so I thought I'd talk a little bit about the trip, specifically the Hyatt Regency Lake Tahoe, because I know a lot of people, it's a property that's sort of of interest uh, to a lot of people. Have either of you guys been up there to, to Lake Tahoe or Northern Nevada? Nope. It's on my list. That's like I've always wanted to go. <laughs> I've always wanted to go to Reno and spend like a day or two because I hear like a day or two is about what you need for Reno. And then head over to Lake Tahoe and check that out. But it just keeps getting pushed down further and further. But definitely something I want to do at some point. Dang, I missed my opportunity. I should have said negative Ghost Rider. The pattern is full. Alright, well that went over my head, so wah, wah, wah. Top gun. <laughs> You guys are losers. <laughs> Get out of here. I got it. Sean did not. You know well, you know I'm not good with movie lines, so that's that's not gonna i'm never gonna be uh, groundbreaking on that stuff speaking of reno i stayed at the circus circus there for one night and uh, was able to get a comp with my caesar's entertainment diamond status that i have through founders card even though i almost never get comps for caesar's i called them up and they were able to give it to me joe did you know that there was a circus circus in reno dude i that was like the first thing i was gonna say i was like i didn't even know there was another circus circus so yeah you got me. Yeah, and this one's owned by Caesars Entertainment, believe it or not. And it's a smaller version of the property in Vegas. Has some interesting things. Like the one in Vegas has that monorail that's been closed forever. Well, the one in Reno has the same thing. Um, it has like the big top with smaller versions of circus shows. It has the midway, all those same games that you get in Vegas. So it's interesting to see it. It was renovated a few years ago. So unlike the one in Las Vegas, it does seem like the rooms are a little bit nicer. So that's why I wanted to stay there and and check it out. They did upgrade me to a suite and had decent views. Reminded me kind of of their mid-tier properties in Vegas, like, uh, I don't know, Flamingo or Link, something like that. So that was uh, good. And it was nice to uh, hang out in, in Reno a little bit. A lot of the hotels there have been closed or converted, but... Downtown Reno is kind of pretty. There's a river running through it, some interesting things. And <laughs> Reno is not a place that I would say go for a long period of time, but one of the nicer things is it's really close to Lake Tahoe, which to me is one of the most beautiful places in all of the United States. Certainly one of the most beautiful mountain lakes. Yeah, it's only about a 40-minute drive there. Have either of you seen the Hyatt Regency uh, at Lake Tahoe, seen pictures of it? 
Yeah, I've seen a lot of, you know, a lot of people stay there, especially during the summer. Um, and then you shared pictures of the lake and the dock and all that. And it looks beautiful. It looks like something you'd see in Colorado or Michigan, big uh, inland lake and beautiful picturesque background. So I've definitely wanted to go. That was one of the properties I had picked that I would go check out. So I know everybody loves it there. And I'm pretty sure that you had a similar experience, except for you got a cabana. You probably broke a pipe or something so that they would give it to you. But <laughs> I, I forgot <laughs> my cottage or whatever they're called, which is pretty, pretty awesome. It seems like a unique experience compared to staying in the tower. Yeah, the property is like a category five, I believe. So 20,000 points a night. So it's a lot of points. Thankfully, I was staying midweek and the occupancy wasn't that high. So I was able to get it for pretty cheap on cash, about $130 a night, not paying resort fee, free parking, um, which they gave to me. They even had a charger for the Tesla. So that was really nice. But I booked my room right before I arrived, maybe an hour before I arrived. So they didn't have time to block me anywhere. So I get to the front desk and basically she gave me a regular room and said that that's all that they had available. But the hotel seemed like it was pretty empty. They were selling every single room category. So I took the room that she gave me. I went and looked at it and, you know, it was just a sort of basic room with not great views. So I yeah, went into basic. the Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, not, not terrible at all, but nothing uh, to write home about. So I went into the Hyatt app, and I guess this is a tip for people. There is, in the Hyatt app, when you go to your stay, there's often a way that you can text the hotel. And I just did that and just explained the situation. Wasn't really complaining or saying I was upset, just wanted to see if there was a better room. And I got a text back within 15 or 20 minutes that they were upgrading me to a cottage uh, by the water, um, which would be a, considered a premium suite. Although, again, they did have the standard suite available in the app that they were selling that they didn't upgrade me to. So big thanks to them for doing that. It was a great, the cottage was right by the lake. So I could walk right out uh, a few steps from the lake and the beach. And it turned out to be uh, pretty cool. And how many points would the cottage normally be to rent? Um, what are, well, thanks for putting me on the spot there. <laughs> Here, I'll look it up. I'll look it up. But yeah. uh, it's going to be a premium uh, suite in, the, in that category. I think it's like, isn't it like double? While, while I'm looking that up, I'm curious what, I know California people and I guess Nevada people go to Lake Tahoe all the time. But what does one do in Lake Tahoe? Like when you were hanging out there, what'd you do? Was it just you or was the family there as well? It was just me. Um, the family uh, had to stay back. Uh, Ellie is in school, but I flew my drone, which was really fun to do. People like to kayak. It's a little cold in the lake right now to swim. I did see a few people doing like polar plunges, running in and then freezing themselves and then getting out and doing jumping jacks, stuff like that. But in the summer, there's a huge amount of boating and activity like that, swimming, all that sort of stuff uh, this time of year, you know, just sort of hiking and enjoying the weather. And then in the winter, there are some big ski resorts, uh, especially in South Lake Tahoe, which is the California side, the main city that's in California on the lake. So there's a big ski resort. Um, that's where Sonny Bono died. If you remember him hitting a tree on the ski resort back in the late nineties, right there in, uh, in Lake Tahoe. So uh, that's what people do. There's also, so where the Hyatt is, is a town called Incline Village. The Hyatt has a casino attached to it as well. And uh, that's sort of on the north edge of the lake. But there's also State Line, Nevada, which is on the south end of the lake. And it sits right across from South Lake Tahoe, which is, uh, again, the main town in the area. And so you have ski resorts in South Lake Tahoe. You have some pretty historic casinos in State Line, Nevada. I also stayed there at a place called Harvey's that dates back to the 60s. There's a Harrah's there that dates back to the 60s built by Bill Hara. And then there's a couple other properties. There's the Hard Rock, which used to be the Sahara, tied way back to the Sahara in Vegas. Elvis used to perform there back in the 70s. 
And then across the street, there's a, a casino called Mont Blue, which uh, used to be Caesars Tahoe, uh, owned and, and tied to the Caesars in Vegas. So there's some interesting sort of Vegas gaming history there, but uh, skiing, hiking, all the kind of typical mountain lake stuff, I'd say. And didn't you say Harrah's was the first five diamond resort or four di- something like that? Yeah, I think it was the first uh, five diamond casino resort in Nevada. I think that that's the the thing. The rooms there are pretty; they look pretty decent. I stayed at Harvey's, which is also owned by Caesar's Entertainment, the same as Harrah's, and they, I stayed in one of their renovated rooms, which had just been renovated. And it was clear they moved the furniture from another hotel because it was beaten to hell. Um, but the, the room itself was fine. But for like it's a brand new renovated room. They- it was pretty. It's rough. amazing how often they do that. Like, because isn't Luxor getting somebody's furniture uh, upcoming because they're doing renovation? They just put like, hey, you can tell which hotel's like the third class citizen in their in their hotel group because they're like, oh, Bellagio's getting new stuff. Here you go. You can have it. You can have these beat up chairs. Yeah, I mean it's pretty common in these big companies to to pass the furniture down, but this furniture was in pretty rough shape. Although the room looked pretty decent and I had great views of the lake, the sunset, the sunrise was was stunning. And I was glad I stayed there because I was debating whether to go back to Reno and film some other casinos there or stay in State Line. But that was great. But as far as people wanting to use points and miles, I found the Hyatt to be a great property. They gave me free breakfast. They also gave me, because their lounge is closed, a voucher that was good for two things in the grab-and-go, which was enough for like dinner. Also, you get s'mores kits so you can make s'mores out by the fire. And it was just a, a very friendly place. Uh, has that very mountain lodge feel. And other than... You know, the room's not very impressive. My cottage was great. I mean, that thing goes for $800 plus a night. It was fantastic. But the regular rooms, nothing too impressive. But uh, overall, a property I enjoyed, especially at the price I was paying compared to what you pay in the height of the season or uh, with points. Yeah, so I got those prices. Uh, the regular room is actually 25,000 points, not uh, 20,000. I don't know if it's a uh, season. It category six, six then. Yeah, six category then, six. Yeah. And then um, there's junior suites. And one bedroom suites for forty thousand points, and then the cottage that you were in was fifty thousand. So, uh, so, not too bad, double. especially. I got yeah, it. Yeah, right. it was double. You got it. You got it. So, <laughs> so I mean, go. if you have a big yeah. family, if you have like a family, you either get two rooms or you get the cottage. I mean, it's not that bad. Yeah, and the cottage has right a full kitchen. Yeah, it's right next to the lake. Has a full kitchen. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, room. Really comfortable. I felt so wasted on just me. I wish that my family was there uh, with me to enjoy it, but uh, certainly appreciated that. And then if I ever go back there again, I'll just put in the notes, uh, same room as last time, please. <laughs> I notice I always get, I always tend to get upgraded when it's just me, at, usually because it's like a one night stay or something, or I'll get like a suite upgrade, especially staying at casinos and everything. And it's always <laughs> when my wife or kids aren't there and I'm like, oh, I don't really need this. And I send her pictures and she gets mad every time. It's kind of funny. Yeah, very similar thing here. I get my best rooms when I'm by myself. And then, uh, yeah, we get some of the worst rooms when I'm with the family. I don't know how that works, but it certainly is the case. Let's move on to uh, the next topic. And, and we'll have uh, a videos from all the stuff in Lake Tahoe coming soon on the channel. So lots of filming done with the casinos, but also just of the Hyatt and some of the hotel aspects of it as well on the travel hacking side. So look for that. The next thing we want to talk about is each bank's biggest weakness from a travel hacking perspective. That's a Benji article on the website. Definitely recommend taking a look at it. Basically, he went bank by bank saying what he perceives to be their biggest weakness from his perspective, from the perspective of the hobby. And I thought we'd go through each bank and see what we agree and disagree with. Uh, starting with City, he says that their biggest limitation is their limited partners, specifically limited domestic partners, and their limited co-brand situation. 
Uh, Mark, I mean, do you uh, agree, disagree? What's the biggest challenge with City for you? Yeah, I think that's the biggest one for me as well. Um, I don't fly United, so Turkish isn't a great use to me. And I think that's pretty much the feather in their cap, which might be less so now that Capital One added them as well. And it was used to be unique to City. But once they got rid of the 1.25 cents through the portal, it kind of lost some of that luster. And then if you paired that with a rewards plus, you're getting, you know, 10% of your points back. So it actually was a somewhat decent redemption for any travel. You weren't booking, you know, like a non-points hotel or uh, cash airfare stuff. And they got rid of that. So that kind of devalued what I use them for. I don't find their partners to be all that valuable, especially domestic. Like Benji said, they don't have any hotel partner that's worthy. I mean, Joe might use them for uh, JetBlue, but other than that, I don't find them all that uh, useful. So I'll probably end up cashing out the points I earn with them and use it just as like a cash back type of thing, unless I need to top off one of my other accounts that I have, but unlikely. First of all, City's biggest weakness is their IT. I'm sorry. Nothing is worse than that. <laughs> that is... Bank of America's business uh, banking is worse, but yeah. Well, I mean, for City, nothing nothing annoys me more about City than their IT. I can't consistently trust that I can log on to the website to check my accounts. Okay, so the IT is a problem. But in terms of limited partners, I definitely agree with that. And then with the 1.25 cents per point going away on the Premier, then these limited transfer partners are hurting a lot more. And they really hurt right now because no one is like, or I am not, it's only people like Ian who are using these niche transfer partners right now. They're flying internationally more and they have more time to like, and also more skill to like use those partners and things like that. Right now, I'm in a point in my life, I'm just starting to travel again. International travel is probably a little bit further down the road because of my kids. And so, you know, I cannot use these niche partners. and I don't want to move stuff to these niche partners and get it stuck there. And so this limited transfer partners really hurts because with Chase, we can complain all we want about how they only have United uh, or like United is one of the few big ones. But at least I know if I move it to United, like I can use that somewhere domestically. Whereas, you know, if I move it to Turkish or Singapore or wherever, there's a chance that I'm not going to be able to use those. So I definitely agree with Benji here. Limited partners, transfers and products, uh, definitely a problem with City, except for their IT problem number one. Yeah, their IT has always been terrible. It really is interesting when he puts it in perspective that City only has JetBlue as their their sole domestic transfer partner, whereas Chase has United, JetBlue, Southwest, Hyatt, and Marriott, and then American Express has Delta, Hawaiian, JetBlue, Marriott, Hilton, and Choice. So it kind of gives you that perspective on uh, on domestic stuff. For Chase, he talks about no permanent grocery bonus category. Does that move the needle a lot for either of you? I mean, I've found... Obviously, they've had the temporary bonuses and things like pay yourself back where you're using grocery spend, you're able to cash in points. Is that enough or do you feel like uh, long term that hurts them? I would say 524 is their worst thing just because once you get out of it, you can't really get back into Chase. You have to wait a while. So that's the barrier of entry that I find the most worrisome. Uh, I know from Benji's perspective, he already has the cards he wants and he, he can rack up points through spend so he's not as worried about it but grocery it is a big thing you know if you look at city and american express they both have good grocery bonuses uh, that blow chase out of the water chase's main areas are dining and travel which if you're a road warrior those are big areas of spend for most families that's not a huge area of spend maybe restaurants and then when it first came out three times earning was kind of 
a novelty uh, for those things. And now that's well below Amex and City, where you can get five times for, for those type of things or four times. So I definitely think they need something. I would have liked them to, to add it maybe to like the preferred if they allowed, since you can technically carry both. You just can't apply for one when you have the other. But that would be a good reason to carry to carry both cards and pay both annual fees, which you think they would think, you know, complimentary bonuses where you can get two times at grocery and gas on the preferred and the reserve is dining and, and travel. You know, that's if I was running Chase, that's what I'd do and they'd have more customers. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll see what Joe has to say. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said. I think the thing that stands out for Chase with me, I probably underrated the effect of 524 being a problem like Benji until I got under 524 and I got that Chase Sapphire preferred sweet, sweet bonus. It felt so good, you know, really triggered all the endorphins there. But to me, the thing that I have a problem with with Chase is they're just not innovative enough. We've talked about it before on the podcast, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But with Amex innovating, even City in some sense is innovating, Capital One is innovating as well. You know, Chase is just still cruising on their Chase Sapphire Reserve excitement, the 3X, like you said, which has kind of become old hat. So I would love to see Chase become more innovative. Maybe eventually when they get hit enough in the market share, they'll become innovative again and come up with ideas that can uh, better attract new customers or better make us happy as the uh, old customers. I agree, Mark. 524 has to be the biggest weakness for them, especially if you were in the game before 524 and know what it was like with Chase before that. It certainly became their biggest weakness. The next thing he talks about is American Express, and I think that Benji put this in there just to brag because he put the 10-card limit as the biggest uh, weakness and just so because he could brag yeah, how many charge cards he has. Because he's like the biggest Amex fanboy, so I think he, he just couldn't think of anything bad to say about them. 10-card limit doesn't even make the top five for me. Maybe not even the top ten. <laughs> Because you're talking about what they used to call charge cards. Now they call them credit cards with limited or finite finite credit limit or whatever. Uh, who cares? We'll call them charge cards here. Yeah, I wouldn't even put that in there. I would say, you know, back when they had the four card limit, now it's five card. That is much worse. I run up against that more than I would the 10 card limit. You can only have four or five. Now it's five credit cards. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good credit cards that you want to hold long term, like the Blue Business Plus, maybe the Amex Surpass, stuff like that that take up slots. Uh, so you're you're going to be bumping up that, and you have to figure out to close some and uh, to to open up new ones. And the Amex Green doesn't count when you apply, but it does count if you have it, and all these weird rules. So I put those above it. Amex Rat, just them feeling free willy to to claw points back whenever they want to type of thing. So I put all that stuff way ahead the ten card limit. I'm sorry. Did you say free willy instead of willy nilly? Yeah, really, yeah, whatever. Free willy. Disney. Isn't that a Disney movie? There you go. Disney reference. Drink a beer. I don't know, but. <laughs> willy nilly. Free willy. Um, I think I think for me, the Amex thing is, I guess it's for people. First of all, I agree. The 10 card limit. Come on, Benji. Do better. But um, I think the thing that bothers me about Amex is it's really sneaky how their annual fees really add up. You know, we've been seeing all these no lifetime language platinum bonuses coming out, you know, some up to 150K. And so because Amex has been so good with their welcome bonuses and their upgrade bonuses and all that, you are getting more and more, or I'm getting more Amex cards and those annual fees really add up. And if you're not careful, you know, you're not maximizing your credits 
et cetera, et cetera, then, you know, those annual fees end up hurting you and you end up losing out in the long run. And then the other thing is they've been really great over the last year about retention bonuses and stuff like that. Um, and so between like retention bonuses and then uh, my upgrades, like I just upgraded from a gold to a Delta platinum because they gave me an upgrade bonus for that. Now I have to keep track of like, I can't cancel this card for 13 months. I can't, you know, downgrade, like, because if you cancel too early, then all of a sudden you got the rat on you. So Amex takes a lot of organization. And I, so I think sneakily, you know, those, that organization and those annual fees, um, kind of a weakness and hurts us in the game. Yeah, I think if you're talking about a travel hacking perspective, you have to talk about RAT or the rewards abuse team and certainly the uncertainty of of that, you know, of being able just back in the day getting a 100K bonus on platinum and then clawing it back. Or, you know, if you're really somebody who wants to push into the gray areas, then I feel like that's the biggest weakness, but certainly not the 10 card limit. Again, I think Benji just wanted to brag about how many charge cards he has because he's been hitting that so, uh, so hard. So he also talks about US Bank, Discover, in Bank of America. So if you want to find out more about the weaknesses, check out the article. Uh, some some interesting. Wait, I wanted to say something about Bank of America. Don't. Okay. Don't what did you want to say? We're we're running low on time. But what did you want to say? Well, about he said of credit America? card application rules, and I'm going to write a uh, post about this because I posted it in the Facebook group, and a lot of people agreed. So maybe we can put uh, Bank of America on notice or on task that there are business when you sign up for a business credit card it is it makes city it look like they're geniuses for harvard grads because the way you have to pay it and they give you a corporate account and the corporate account has the accurate uh, what you owe but the credit card shows what the actual activity is what the the amount is inaccurate and then when you go to pay you have to do it through bill pay you can't you can't just hit pay now and and enter it in and you can't pay from a a different bank account if you don't have a bank of america bank account it's just a, a hot mess and they are awful and the size of the bank they are it should not be even close to this you know they make a credit union look like a masterpiece web website so yeah i just wanted to make sure everybody knew that bank of america sucks at that agreed every time i get a business card with bank of america i always miss the first payment like without fail without fail i it's not because not because i don't try to pay them it's just like I always miss the first payment because it takes me a week to figure out how to give them the money. Yeah, or I think I like... paid them, or I think I paid them, and and then I find out like two weeks later the money never went through. It drives me nuts. Oh, it's so terrible. And I would use their business cards. You know, some of their business cards are decent, and I would use them. But it's like once I get the bonus, I'm like, I'm not dealing with this hassle anymore. This is just so stupid. So I stopped using them. So they're missing out on a lot of spend just because it's so horrible. The setup is terrible. That's what I wanted to say. So thank you, Sean. I wish I could argue with you there, but it's absolutely true. I mean, you described it perfectly. The corporate account, the whole setup, it's it's strange. And I use my Bank of America cards quite a lot. And the, even paying them every month is a pain because I have to bill pay every single one. And I have my one login separate than the other. And then I have to go into one login, see what I owe, write it down manually, then go into the bill pay on the other one. It is, it is not fun compared to other banks where I just log in and just pay it. And that's as simple as that. So yeah, uh, Bank of America, catch up with that. And the, the last topic we wanted to talk about, you wrote an article, obviously this isn't financial or tax advice or legal advice or anything like that, but uh, there was a tax proposal put forward this week. And one of the aspects of that is the way the IRS will be able to look at our bank accounts and sort of inflows and outflows and the balances. And you wrote an article kind of, Mark, talking about how you feel this could be really bad for the travel hacking game. We're really not trying to talk politics here. 
just try to kind of narrow it down to the perspective on what it's going to mean for people in this hobby. But certainly if you think about manufacturing spend or doing anything like that, uh, that we do here, I mean, it could look really strange, couldn't it? From the bank account perspective. Yeah. And the whole, the whole goal of this bill that they're, they're trying to pass or the proposal is they want to find people that are kind of avoiding taxes and stuff. So they want to go after bit wealthy business owners type of thing. And and get their bank account info. They want the banks to have to send them their info so they can go through it and say, hey, this transaction doesn't look right. This looks like income that wasn't claimed type of thing. It got me to thinking, I was talking to with Derek at Travel on, uh, Travel on Points who sent it to me and we're going back and forth a little bit and it's like, yeah, this would look really bad for if they get to our level. Like, let's say we have a reselling business and we're reselling, that's taxable and everything. But if you're depositing money orders, we learned a couple months ago, that's not taxable because that's a rebate on spending. At least in that court case, the person won because they bought a gift card, earned rewards for that purchase, so it's not considered cash-like equivalent or whatever in their their eyes. But if the IRS is just getting your bank account and you're seeing these deposits, they're going to be like, what is that? That's extra income that they're not claiming, so you have to fight it. And it's, you know, I think you'd still come out on top, but you're going to have to spend money. If it gets to that level, you're going to have to spend money to fight it. And if you don't have that records really well kept, that's going to be hard to fight. And you're going to have to spend money uh, to hire attorneys and everything to fight this. I think you would end up winning, but it's something that gives me pause. And if it gets to past and we see where it goes, and if it starts to dip into small businesses that they're checking the accounts of small businesses, then it's something that maybe I won't be doing some of the things I'm doing just because of what it could look like, even if it isn't. So I think it is something to keep an eye on. I personally don't see it passing. I just don't see you know, that kind of invasion of privacy right now, I think that they need to get a subpoena to check bank accounts and for them to just be able to check it whenever. I don't know that enough people will be on board with that, but something we have to keep an eye on for sure. Here in Massachusetts, I've been getting 1099s after $600 for a couple of years now. In general, I already put all my purchases and sales for buyer's clubs, gift card reselling and stuff like that. So I already report all of that it ends up only being like a small, at most four digit profit. But I guess if you throw in stuff like the mint coins and stuff as well, sometimes it's a little higher. So I'm pretty used to doing this. It is annoying. And I think my biggest worry when I have to do it already, and I'm just saying this because I think if it happens, this is what everyone's going to have to experience as well. My biggest worry is whether there's going to be an audit risk or have an increased audit risk or worse. Like if I'm audited, I just need to dig up like all those receipts and things like that. So it causes me to keep slightly better books. I would not say at all that my books are great, but I do think if I got audited, I would be able to like kind of show everything that I've done. But I think that's the biggest fear in terms of reporting it. It's it's a good habit to figure out how much you made anyway. How much did you buy? How much did you sell it for? And what was the profit? Whatever little bit it was. And so that's not too bad. But if I got audited, it would be a real pain to deal with. I mean, I deal with it, but like, I think that's my biggest worry with this thing as I'm reading it right now. And of course, you know, when these bills are proposed, they always change in like a million ways before they actually get passed or before they pass, if they even get passed. Yeah, I, I report all of my income too through businesses. And so anytime any of this activity as far as profit generating stuff is reported, I simply don't believe that the government has the right to look at people's bank account information. And this is a step a little bit too far into our, you know, into our privacy and our protections. And, and that's going to start to get to political. So I won't go there. But uh, certainly, I hope that this doesn't pass. But it's a good reminder that the IRS is going to be increasing audits. 
um, because that's what the uh, the government wants. And like you said, Joe, just to have good records and to do your best to document everything so that in the case that somebody comes asking, um, certainly uh, they will, uh, you'll be able to have documentation and, you know, in an audit, even if maybe we don't think that they should have our bank account uh, information all the time in an audit, they can still subpoena it and get it anyway. So then at that point you could, you're still going to have to present evidence on what you're doing. So hopefully this doesn't pass because it's, Seems like it's uh, ill thought out and maybe a step too far, but nonetheless, people should be keeping keep really your, good records. Keep your regular business banking and your uh, increased spending, manufacturer spending type of stuff separate. So don't deposit those two things into the same bank just in case, because that will muddy the waters, I think. So that's one thing to, to keep an eye on. I think you should do that anyway. Um, and if you're not, you might want to start that going forward. And of course, like we said, this isn't financial or legal or tax advice, just us uh, spouting out our opinions about this and, and hopefully it doesn't uh, it doesn't come, but nonetheless, be prepared, be organized. And that's the best way to be successful in this game anyways, be organized. Like Joe said, you need to know what you're making, what's your return on all the time and effort you're putting in and, and everything else. So let's move on to rapid fires. Uh, Mark, start us off. Yeah. So I updated beginning of the month because it's gonna be May. So since it's May, May 1st just hit, uh, updated the travel hacking saving for college. Uh, we're about 10, 10 months. Yeah, I think this is 10 months. Yep. The account, you know, I've deposited $5,000 over the 10 months, $500 a month times 10. You got that Joe? 500 times 10, 5,000. <laughs> so, uh, current balance, uh, this morning was $5,566. So I've actually made $566 in the stock market from the investments, um, overall for the month from this month to last month, $108 in uh, gains. So the breakdown for this month for the $500 was I had a $400 Wells Fargo checking account offer that that hit last month. So I only counted $320 of that because I'm going to get taxed on it. So I took 20% off the top. And then the other $160 to meet the $500 deposit was from the Brex bonus, uh, the $800 one for spending $1,000. So I still have some of that left over that I'll use uh, over the next couple months to plug the hole. Yeah, that's how I came up with the $500. Going to come uh, come up on one year. It's been a fun experiment. I'm going to keep it going. So going into the future, I encourage everybody to try something similar for saving for a house, maybe a down payment on a car, college for your kids, or just you know saving for retirement. So lots of options. How about you, Joe? So Zoe wrote an article about best onsens in Japan. If you can remember right before the pandemic started, probably around episode 25 to 30-ish, my wife and I went to Japan and we use an onsen. So an onsen is like a hot spring, but in Japan, there's like, it's just um, a very, it's like part of the culture there. Number one, the hot springs are great, but number two, the whole entire experience around it is very nice as well. You do need to get completely nude. So if that doesn't work for you, you can get a private onsen in your room. Like my wife and I did, we were springing for our 10 year anniversary though. We wouldn't do that normally, but uh, normally you so just go get naked with everybody. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I think I, I think I told this story when I talked about onsens the first time, but the first time we ever did it, we were traveling with another couple. And we were at like a resort that had its own onsen and my buddy and I, like the men, we refused to go at the same time. We had to make sure that the other person was like back in the room before the other, before number two would go to do the onsen. So, but anyway, you know, it's, it's, it's cultural. It's, it's really great and uh, a really enjoyable experience. So Zoe has a lot of great recommendations. So I advise you check it out. 
Absolutely. And I've only been to, to Onsen once that was in my hotel, but I haven't been to like a, to a public one. I like that, but it's so ritualized, like from the bathing to everything that you, there's so many rules that you have to follow, but it's such a cool cultural experience. Plus hot springs and hot pools in general are cool. And yeah, thanks to, to Zoe for that awesome article. Mine is uh, an article by uh, Ryan, the award travel acronyms and abbreviations. In this game, we have so many ways that we shorten things on how we write them out. And so he created a guide just to let people know if you're newer to the game, you know, which abbreviations mean what. And uh, like, for instance, did you know B of A equals Bank of America, Mark? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> There's actually a lot more in-depth ones than that. Thanks. Uh, a lot of stuff. A lot of jargon from the uh, the hobby that you've probably seen and uh, doing our best to help decode it for you. Do it, Kawia. Yeah, we do. All right. And that's going to do it for us this week. Joe, when you aren't on this podcast, where can people find you? You can uh, find me at As Joe Flies on social media. And if you're planning a Disney vacation, you can send me an email, josephchung at travelmation.net. If you need some help, please do not try to book a last minute vacation without making Park Pass reservations. The number one mistake people are making right now. What about you, Mark? You can follow me on Twitter at Detroit Mark. Email me, mark at milestomemories.com. Join our Facebook groups, our Patreon, our Diamond group. Uh, come join us on the live chat on Mondays. You know, Matt needs friends too, so he wants uh, some more people here with him. Comment on the articles on, at the website, Miles to Memories, and uh, we'll get back to you there. How about you, Sean? Yeah, if you're interested in diving in deeper into Miles and Points, check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Miles to Memories. We're having our first meetup in just a few months uh, with our Diamond community. Great group of people knowledgeable about this stuff. And uh, you get access to Facebook and Discord, plus uh, access to our events and uh, all the fun commentary and stuff along the way. So patreon.com forward slash miles to memories. We have about 50 articles a week on the website at miles to memories.com. Our YouTube is still going strong at youtube.com forward slash miles to memories. You can see all that fun casino and Vegas stuff. And uh, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you, uh, Joe. Thanks, Mark. Talk to you guys Yo, next week. Shout out to Matt M for hanging out with us live the entire time. Great comments in the chat. You guys should come check us out on the Miles to Memories Deals Facebook page. We record live every Monday, and it's going to be 1 p.m. Eastern going forward because my schedule is no longer insane. Peace out, everyone. Bye. I hear about Lake Taco. I hear Lake Taco. Yes. Too bad we don't record on Tuesdays anymore. Lake, Lake Titicaca. <laughs> Why? Why? Tracking and... Oh, we lost Sean. I'll just keep going. But, uh... So you're gonna have to have all this tracking and... And we lost everybody. <laughs> all right. Good thing I'm... Good thing I'm the one that has a good uh, internet, I guess. No, I hit the wrong button. What happened to Joe? Joe froze, too, I think. See you next week. It'll still be May. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we only have a few more weeks to, or a month, 28 more days to deal with this. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com.
Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.